0: In the, once that happened, I was in the middle of my uh, now long-term love affair with Mothership. Hell yeah. So i had been playing some of these like indie games uh, with some friends. Someone was like, hey, I want to run this game called Mothership. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I played it once, and I was like, this is the best game I've ever played. It was the single best session I had ever played. It was like, to die for, amazing. I, I just fe- fell head over heels in love with it.
1: Regular listeners and floor heads know I love the RPG Mothership by Tuesday Night Games. Today I sit down with Ian Usom, who's responsible for popular scenarios for Mothership like The Drain. Ian has a Kickstarter live for a huge anthology of Mothership scenarios and content called Hull Breach. The link is in the show notes, so check it out. I was fascinated by Ian's approach to making content and for playing Mothership. Stick around for an interesting conversation at the end around the toll of running a Kickstarter. This and every episode of Tabletop Talk is made possible by the patrons of Third Floor Wars. A shout out to a few of our newest patrons. Jacob Isaac Turton 8S Eli Greason, Kevin Rademacher, Philip Cummings, and Jonathan Kennedy. Because of them and the 100-plus other patrons, we bring you quality weekly tabletop content. Okay, sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with
2: Ian. Do you love to unplug and play games around the table? friends, and floor heads to Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you love tabletop gaming, you are in the right place. Listen as Craig delivers in-depth discussions and interviews with game designers, creators, insiders, and experts. Learn from the people making and playing the role-playing, miniature, and board games you love. Now, enjoy the show.
1: Howdy, friends, Craig here. My guest today is Ian Usome. Ian is a tabletop RPG designer, publishing under the label Anodyne Printware. He primarily writes sci-fi horror content for one of my favorite games, the Mothership RPG from Tuesday Night Games. Now he's best known for his adventures The Drain, which crowdfunded on Kickstarter back in February of 21, and Moonbase Blues. Ian shares RPG publishing tutorials and project postmortems on his blog, The Uncanny Spheres. We'll have a link to all of that in the show notes. But Ian, welcome to the third floor.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: All right, my friend. So at one point, you knew nothing about rolling dice, looking at a piece of paper and pretending to be a spaceman out there fighting aliens. And then all of a sudden, you discover tabletop role playing. So I'd be curious if we can go back there. And I'd love to know, like, the first time you were exposed to it.
0: The very first time, um, I was maybe 11 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, I want to say five in the morning at an (laughs) up all night sleepover at a friend's house. Nice. And, uh, my friend broke out either the second or third edition D&D box set with some minis. Um, and I had never heard of D before he did not explain the rules at all. But I remember <laughs> I was really into Lord of the Rings. So, and I liked the Legolas best of all. Um, and so I made an elf. Uh, and i early on, I distinctly remember feeling frustrated by the mechanics that was like, wait, I can't be good at both swords and bows. Yeah. um, And, uh, he plonked down a big dragon mini on the dungeon. And I said, I want to fight that. And he was like, no, you have to go through the dungeon first. And, um, I can't remember exactly what happened, but I'm I'm 90% sure, uh, by we played for like maybe 15 minutes. And by the end of it, um, my character was, uh, destroyed by the dragon (laughs) uh, almost immediately. He
1: ramped it up quick on you.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to go out with a bang.
1: Uh, well, I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, I mean, with second or third edition, if a kid popped out the minis. I'd be like, that must have been the rich kid in the neighborhood, right? They already
0: have all the minis and everything. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It was it was very fun looking at all the little skeletons and, and I'm dudes. i sure.
1: So what stuck with you? So that was your first experience. Did you say, you know what, that was fine, whatever? um, Or did it stick in your brain?
0: It so I did not play another role playing game for another 10 years. Wow. Okay. so I mean, it was a very liminal, weird experience that I had, you know, uh, at in one strange morning at another person's house, I think. It must have stuck in my brain because um, when I rediscovered role playing games, um, I was just sort of I was at a point in my life where there wasn't a lot going on. I was looking for something to do. I was like, oh, yeah, role playing games exist. So I looked into some. um, I discovered critical role videos on YouTube. Oh, yeah. Watched a few thought, okay, this seems pretty cool. I played some really looking back, not very good public online games on Roll20 that I joined via their Looking for Game forums. Um, But it was, despite the games being kind of a mess of, you know, flaky no shows and like really weird homebrews and stuff, it was compelling enough that I stuck with it. And managed to branch out a couple years later into the indie scene. So what what
1: caused you to make that jump, Ian? So, you know, you're pretty mainstream at this point, critical role. You stuck, yep. sticking with D&D and, and not mainstream in a derogatory way, right? Right. Um, so at some point you, you got a smell or you got a you got a scent on something. And what made you turn your head a little?
0: Um, I had to first decide I didn't really like D&D 5th edition. Um, I, we had played through two years with one group of the entire Rise of Tiamat wow. campaign. Holy cow, okay. And by the end of it, I was like, that was kind of a shitty adventure. I didn't like it. Because? um, It was just so brutally like, combat after combat after combat and not a lot of very interesting things happened. And I just realized I wasn't really having fun with it, but I knew that there was something about the hobby that I liked. Right. So I looked around, I found someone raving about Troika on Reddit, which is a a really cool indie game. And that was my my, my next game. No kidding, boy. That's a huge jump, Ian. Wow. Yeah. So, what was it like getting your hands on that? I mean, like, <laughs> were you like, "Holy shit"? Or <laughs> yeah, it 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 totally set my mind on fire. Yeah. I was like, "This RPGs can do this." Right. Um. So, um, yeah, I just played a ton of games. I played um some story games. I played some OSR kind of games. Um, I played. Maze Rats, Black Hack, Macchiato Monsters, Very nice. Troika um and a few others all plus uh I played a marathon of games at um the Gauntlet Con, the online um sort of uh convention that was several years ago now, but um I got a pretty good exposure to a bunch of games. Um, and at the end of it, I was like, yep, Troika is still the best one of these. That's cool. That's cool. So I stuck with that. So that's been a couple of years, right? Since you've, you really
1: started exploring the, the indie scene, looking back on it now with a ton more experience than when you first came across Troika. Um, what do you think hooked you so hard about Troika? Um, uh, that in your words, you know, set your mind on fire.
0: I think the writing, just the, the straight up this writing is amazingly creative and interesting um the art so this was not the current edition of Troika this was the original art the the original uh edition which didn't have a ton of art in it but what was there was weird yeah <laughs> um and um the mechanics were just like utterly bizarre like the you're drawing tokens out of a bag um and um it was clearly just having fun right um and you know that sort of creativity is still the thing that i most look for in rpgs so
1: having kind of walked away from D, not out of you know well maybe out of disappointment i don't know but you know, going in and discovering all of these other games, and the games you listed off are mechanically very interesting, right? Settings wise, very interesting, and, and a huge variance. Is there anything when you look back at D anD D that you miss, um, that you still appreciate, or are you just like, you know what, I, I did my time and and I'm not going back, or or have no or have no uh, uh, nostalgia?
0: Every once in a while, I get it in my head, like creating this concept for a character. And building it out like in this very crunchy video gamey sort of mechanically fulfilling way seems appealing and in the last you know two to three years since I've discovered indie RPGs I've gone back a couple times and not had a good time so the the promise is not met yeah yeah I think like I like video games you know like I like video game RPGs and I think D&D sells these archetypes and the promise of these characters very well, Yep, um, but playing it, I don't have the, the best experience with.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's a game where I think you, you get a lot of, you can find a lot of joy away from the table, right? Thinking about, right. you know, what happens when I level up? Am I going to go this way? Am I going to go that way? And then there's times you go back to that grind, right? Where you just like roll for initiative. Yeah, roll D20, huge variance. Okay, I missed, you know. Um, So I can definitely understand that. So, guys, the Insider Insight series is my opportunity to sit down with designers, developers, artists, writers, and creators and learn how they approach their work. I try to understand their process, inspiration, and methods for crafting their creations. And that's what we're going to do with Ian today. So we're going to take a quick break. and When we get back from that break, we're going to talk about a little game, which isn't so little anymore. We're going to talk about mothership. We'll be right back. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to Patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there is a link in this show's description, And there is. We won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode. We needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. So, it's neat to hear kind of the the as you leveled up, right, as as a, somebody who is consuming RPGs. Um, and I thought it was interesting, you know, you're talking about the path of Tiamat and your your critique of it is it was boring. Right. And mm-hmm. now, of course, the reason you're here on the show is that you write, you know, modules, you write adventures. And I think that that's interesting. But let's go back a little bit. And there's always a very interesting transition um, from. More, I'm not homebrewing. I'm not creating my own, you know, home world and things like that. Like, I want to create something from scratch. Um, When did that itch first
0: come to you and where did it come from? I think it just came from running games. You know, I was, I started playing some of these, these uh, indie games, but then I, I really wanted to run them and, you know, running games is, you know, half a step removed from writing games. It's still designed, right? Yeah. Right. So I found Mothership. I was playing Mothership. And then I started blogging a little bit about Mothership. Um, I had, you know, some friends who were were into the, like, old G-plus blog sort of scene. So I was like, I don't know, maybe I can do some of that. I had been playing a lot of Mothership. um, And I was running games. I was running, you know, one-shots here and there with friends. Uh, I had exposed my family to a game or two of Mothership. Uh, But then I was also running regular games. And I was running some of the first-party Mothership material, but I was also making up some of my own stuff. And one of the uh, scenarios that I came up with, I took a concept from... um, uh, a friend uh die sugars uh who is a designer but they happened to mention this idea for um what if there was uh a meteor circling a moon uh and the light was turning everyone crazy so they just casually mentioned that in some server <laughs> some discord server and um i ran with it I used that as the base for like a very lightly sketched out scenario that I ran for some friends. I thought it went pretty well. It was kind of cool. So I threw up my roughly polished up version of my notes on the blog. Shared that on the mother, the main Mothership Discord. Uh, and that was that. And then a couple months later, out of the blue, this guy I'd never spoken to uh, named Warren Denning reached out to me and was like, hey... I read your blog. I thought it was pretty cool. I fully laid out your adventure. Wow. And I want to know what you think. <laughs> so he had uh, done a single page layout. I mean, this is a simple, small scenario, but it was really cool. Yeah. I mean, and I nothing like that had ever happened to me before. I don't even think I had a single comment on my blog, you know um that's cool man that's cool yeah yeah so that stunned me and then you know he was like oh i kind of want to like put this out you know just throw it up for free is that cool with you and i was like yeah that'd be cool or we could work (laughs) together and like expand it and and make something like you know publishable with this so so we worked on it and it went from a single page to a double sided single page pamphlet. Um and it was one of the first published third party um scenarios for Mothership. And what was it called? Moonbase Blues. That's cool, man. That's cool. Yeah. So that was the first thing I ever published.
1: Isn't it neat? It's amazing when you just create something and then you find someone else that latches onto it, right? Like that. I mean, and then they have a boomerang back to you and it's just like, holy shit, like that,
0: that's a neat feeling, man. Yeah. It felt really good. And, and we published it and it sold like, I want to say like three or 400 PDF copies within like a month. That's crazy. That's crazy. And Yeah, it was like, well, that that felt pretty good. I'm going to do more of that. (laughs) So going backwards a little bit,
1: though, um, was it just was Mothership just the game that was there when you were ready to start flexing a little bit here or was there something about Mothership that you think inspired you to kind of do the blog and kind of
0: next step or could have just been any game and it was just timing? I think I was. In once that happened, I was in the middle of my uh now long term love affair with Mothership. Hell yeah! So I'd been playing some of these like indie games uh, with some friends. Someone was like, Hey, I want to run this game called Mothership. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I played it once and I was like, This is the best game I've ever played. It was the single best session I had ever played. It was like to die for amazing i i just fell, fell head over heels in love with it
1: so after ex- all that exposure to all those other games and i mean there's something very you know old school about mothership what was it that just put its hooks into you like that Holy! i mean holy cow
0: the sci-fi horror genre was not something i'd ever explored in rpgs uh. and the atmosphere of playing that and the way that Mothership sort of hooks into the tension and the, you know, particular horror of space, um, it just sold me so hard. That's cool. Um, You know, I remember distinctly that it was some scenario that my friend who was running the game came up with. There was a weird geometric anomaly that was chasing us around a derelict space station. Um, And I played a scientist and I think that may have been one of the first times I played a character that was just out for destruction. Like I my eyes lit up. I was I was like, I'm gonna take these grenades and I'm gonna get us all killed, and it's gonna be great <laughs> um it was just I don't know like it was a mix of the lightness of the system that sort of just let the inherent horror of space shine through with the particular cassette futurist aesthetic yeah good way to i put it. i had I had tried reading stars without number and kind of bounced off of it like the particular flavor of sci-fi just didn't speak to me but um mothership really did uh and i had such a good time playing it uh then that i i just started running it and running it and running it so i had an interesting an
1: interesting thing happened to me with mothership and i'd be curious what your thoughts are if you experienced anything close to it um, So I found, I can't remember how I came across it. Right. And it was pay what you want. I think I threw 10 bucks at him or 12 bucks at him. I can't remember. And download, I'm like, you know what, this is as a guy who used to play Redbox and stuff like that. I'm like, there's, there's a lot of things that are familiar here, right. To like second, second edition Cthulhu and stuff like that. Um, And, and I ran it and I had the same experience, which is uh, suddenly the mechanics kind of blended, but, but held up. Right. So they were there, but they, they helped enhance the experience. And then, the simplicity of the, of the character creation and everything. So I had a ton of fun with it. It was also a big fan. And then free leagues alien came out and I kept hearing about it, kept hearing about it. And I went and checked it out and kind of put mothership to the side because I'd had it in my head that mothership was because alien didn't exist. Right. So I can explore that type of a game And then when I came across Alien, I was afraid that all you could do is tell the one story with that game, and it turned out you couldn't. Free League did a very good job of making that a very wide-open thing. And I just happened to come back, just, like, picked up my mothership again. I just remember, like, no, these are two different games. Like, they're Mm -hmm. both can exist and both have that. Has that happened to you at all, or have you explored uh, Alien from Free League at all?
0: I played Alien once. Um, We played... I'm not sure what the name of the scenario is, but I think it was maybe the the starter scenario mm-hmm. um My experience was like I'd never played a free league game before, so their sort of dice pool thing was was new to me i was I thought that the I liked the stress system mm-hmm. I thought that you know I liked that it was sort of a push your luck you know some advantages some disadvantages thing um My experience was that I had sort of the quintessential alien thing. You know, we we fought the alien. Right. Um, And that was enough for me. I don't know. Like, I, I was like, you know, that was that was pretty cool. But I don't know. Like, the alien is the alien. Yeah. I knew what it was. And, you know, I didn't know. I don't know what the hell is in any given mothership scenario. What kind of nightmare someone someone cooked up. So, I mean. I my impression was was that it did what it could do. And then I didn't really look into it further. I'm not necessarily, you know, if you, you're say, saying that it does a good job of having an open universe, but I never probed deep enough to really find that stuff.
1: Right. So like, I think you could with alien, you can definitely do, you know, the Marine story, right. Um, right. Without ever coming across as xenomorph, or you can really do a, a space trucker type story. What I think mm-hmm. is very unique about mothership though, is that like, it could be F in anything, like whatever right. I can dream up. doesn't have to be a, an alien. Right? It could be you know, and the, and I think that's something that's pretty unique about the premise uh, behind mothership. so, um, it's good that you had a chance to do it and um, that, that's my big confession well, when it comes to mothership is that I cheated mm-hmm. on it and then came back uh, and fell in love again so guys we're going to take another break when I get back from this break I want to talk to Ian a little bit more about um, his first kind of big uh, drop out there it's a, it's a scenario that's talked about all the time it's always part of the conversation we're going to talk about the drain as well as um, meat grinder we'll be right back Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use Mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux third edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats. Save yourself some money and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So you, Moonbase Blues comes out, um, several hundred people buy the PDF from you. Again, another surprise, right? It's like you, you had your buddy there come back and say, hey, I took your words and made them pretty and let's, you know, you did more with that. Then to find out that there's, you know, people consuming it, right? And and, it, and mm-hmm. it's amazing when you see people consume your stuff. Like every time I look at downloads or views on my crap, I'm like, like, those are people. Every one of those is a person. Um, where... Where do you go from there? You said this was fun. I liked this. Um, was the drain next?
0: Um, there were a couple little things in between Moonbase Blues and the Drain. Okay. I made, you know, this is almost more of like a it could have been a blog post, but I me and another third-party mothership designer. Uh, His handle is Karek on Discord. Uh, He published Bloom, which is a third-party scenario. We wrote a D100 list of, like, creepy items that tell these little environmental horror stories. That's called From Nightmares. I published Dinoplex Cataclysm, which is another pamphlet scenario that's basically Jurassic Park in space. It's it's very Um,
1: clever, and I enjoyed that one.
0: Thank you. Um, So there was a couple little things I was dabbling in, but then um, I really got a kick out of ZineQuest 2, which is this event that Kickstarter puts on every year or has for the last several years in February where people are funding these cool zines. And so once... uh, Zine Quest 3 was rolling around. I wanted to get involved in that. So I had had this idea cooking for a little bit to do a dungeon crawl classics style level zero funnel in mothership. And so I worked on that, uh, towards the end of 2020. It started taking shape and i ran a kickstarter for it and it went pretty well so let's let's take a step
1: back in so um sure. for those who are not familiar with uh uh the funnel that uh for dcc so uh dungeon crawl classics has a concept of a level z- level zero and basically each player takes anywhere from two to five <laughs> peasants right they have no class no class no distinctions or anything this is a very old school D style game and right. you you throw them into it, literally into a dungeon. Um, each person controlling multiple ones, and then the 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 character that survives is the one that you then take to level one, and then becomes your character as it go forward. So that piques your interest in. And how yeah. does that relate then for you to Mothership? Right. So you said I want to do something like that. What is something like that?
0: I had to grapple with that. So I was I was interested in exploring horror, war as horror mm-hmm. in Mothership. What is what is war like in Mothership? And then I thought of the funnel that is, I mean, it's very meat grinder-y. Some sort of ideas started loosely forming in my head. You know, what if, what if it was like World War One? What if there were trenches? What if you were cannon fodder? So I sort of had to Combine all these ideas in my head into an, into something that made sense. So what I landed on was funnel characters might be something else, but in this specific instance, they are prisoners um, who have been conscripted to be meat fodder in this giant space battle. And they're sort of in a uh, high-tech chain gang where they're wearing these explosive collars around their neck and if you get too far away from each other your head explodes Uh, and that was to sort of solve the problem of well why would a bunch of prisoners work together you're forced to yeah so yeah it, it just for me writing is kind of like this ever evolving thing of having an idea and then working on it to have it make sense in some sort of playable way. And so the drain formed out of, out of that.
1: So let's talk about that process a little bit, Ian. Um, so you get, you get some concepts, and ideas, right? We've got the inspiration mm-hmm. from the DCC stuff. Do you just sit in your room and just iterate and then sleep on it and then think about 10 other things and then come back to it later? Do you have somebody you bounce off of? Like what, how does the, how does the uh, ball roll down the hill?
0: For me, it's getting well, first it starts with some ideas, then getting it polished up to something that makes a little bit of sense. Basically, I try to make the minimum runnable concept and then I run it as soon as I possibly can. So for me, writing is all about playtesting. So I ran it and it worked really well. And I so instantly I knew okay, this works. I'm going to do this. Um, so you know I ran, I think three or four play tests um, over the course of writing. So I would run, I would furiously write down everything that I learned in the last you know three or four hours. Apply those notes, ruminate, take it back to the table, and then it sort of shapes up into something more and more closer to the final project from there.
1: So if I were to go gr- uh, grab my copy of the drain out off my shelf right now, and then break into your home when you were sleeping and steal <laughs> the first version of the drain, um, I want to know first, what would I see is the same, right? So if I looked at your scratch notes that led to the first play test, what, what made it all the way to the version I have?
0: Gosh, that's, that's kind of hard to think. I have to think back several drafts. Um, well, I give you a
1: concept, right?
0: Yeah, I mean the the World War two World War One as a defining aesthetic was there from the start. The first location in the drain are literally trenches, and that was how I had it set up from the get go, and that was like the first sort of mini scenario that I ran to know that 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 would work. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of when I re- originally thought of this idea, this is going to sound really stupid, but this all started with someone making a joke on a Discord server. What if you ran a funnel in a funnel? <laughs> what the hell does that mean? That's right. interesting. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't really mean anything, but I was like, <laughs> okay, what, if, what does that mean? So the idea of this, so the drain takes place in this uh, rotating cylindrical habitat. Uh, so it's spinning to create artificial gravity and it's this big um, sort of like farmland. It's like a long term uh, habitation for these people. It's sort of, you know, you might call it like a colony ship or something. But instead of being a, a cylinder, it's a cone. So it's a it's funnel. It's a funnel and a funnel. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. So now now that we have
1: it like so it sounds like the some of the basic themes and premises made it all all the way through. Right. Can you remember uh, an iteration where you had some ideas and you're like, I am so excited and you put it to the table and you're like, I am throwing that out. It was terrible. So what are some things that you that you cut and needed to be cut?
0: The explosive collar thing was originally an actual chain gang It was originally people were physically characters are physically chained together. Um, and the group that I ran it for hated it. Uh, <laughs> they, you know, they just felt too limited. Um, they, they were really like constantly like their, their imagination was constantly being sort of like stopped short. Right. Because, you know, Oh, right. But like my characters are in this like predefined line and I have to interact in this sort of weird way. So that needed to get revised, but I still wanted to carry some elements with that because one of the things that I dislike in games is that awkward moment of trying to f- figure out why we're working together, why, mm-hmm. we're, why we're doing this. So um, the explosive collar evolved from there, and I think it works pretty well. So was this
1: your first time running a Kickstarter? Yes. All right, so I I need to understand what that process was like for you, you know, getting your arms around it, understanding it. What type of research did you do? Um any and probably big lessons learned.
0: So, I looked a lot at other kickstarters. I talked to uh people who I knew who had run kickstarters. Um Sean McCoy who wrote created Mothership uh was kind enough to help me out, uh, figure out a lot of the sort of financial business ins and outs. Um, also, uh, Kristen and Matt Kelly from Exalted Funeral, Mm -hmm. uh, they did fulfillment for me and they were also really encouraging and helpful along the way. I tried to be really prepared. I got started on it really early. You know, it was already basically done by the time the Kickstarter launched. The actual Zine, um, I spent a really long time on the page. I tried to, you know, where I couldn't figure something out myself, I just sort of copied what Mothership did. Mm-hmm. I looked at their campaigns. I okay, we have these pretty, you know, graphic headers that that you know show off uh, or break up sections of the campaign mock-ups are are good um people like videos so we did this really ridiculously ambitious video where i had my friend meredith make physical models of spaceships and record them and you know it was a live action kickstarter video it was like ridiculously complicated and like way overkill for this like zine but you know we did it We did it, and and some people liked it. I mean, I I think that it was it was, uh, so weird. It was like a shock to the system that it got people prepared for you know what was going to follow in the campaign. Um, in terms of lessons learned, even with all my preparation, I was not prepared for the physical and emotional strain of running the Kickstarter. How so? Just the day to day intensity of not just the all the things you have to do, all the fires you have to put out. Um, but just the stress of watching those numbers tick up, watching, you know, Kickstarter gives you a little uh, running tally of all the activity in your campaign. So you can see whenever someone drops, there's a big red block. It's like, it's like you did something wrong. I don't know. Uh, someone doesn't like you anymore. Um, and just, I don't know. Once the, that number is is ticking, your entire, you know, self-worth is like wrapped up in how this thing is doing. Um, even if your campaign exceeds your wildest imaginations, which, my, which mine did, you know, I I think it did like three times better than like my highest prediction I was willing to let myself wow. believe in. So it, it doesn't even feel enough because it could be better i don't know the goalposts endlessly shift so that nothing feels satisfying so you know personally i was energized during the campaign it felt really great and then immediately after it ended i was like down in the dumps exhausted um and needed to recover for like weeks so i'd be curious ian um
1: and before i ask this question i Meant to tell you at the very beginning. Um, if at any point I ask a question that you don't want to answer, just say, Craig, I'm not going to answer that. And I'll ask another question. That's this fine. might be one I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know you well enough. Um, so, this experience you went through, how much of that is how Kickstarter does what it does? And how much of it is you as a person? Or is it both?
0: I think it's both. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, I definitely have anxiety. Uh, and this sort of thing is the, you know, Feeds really it. sets that off. Yeah. Um, but I think that Kickstarter is just more work than you're ever prepared for. I mean, it's, it's running a business and, you know, it's, it's, it's like opening three different businesses at the same time. You know, you're, you're doing the RPG work. Um, you're also re- creating, managing and promoting a storefront. And you're opening up a line of customer service. You're on the hook to your backers, you know, 24 seven, even after the campaign ends, you know, it's, it goes on for a long time. Yep. Um, and
1: you've got the comments. That's brutal.
0: Yep. Thankfully, you know, my campaign went pretty well. I think no, you know, I didn't run into any major, you know, controversies or, Yeah, but even if it's all positive, it's still it's still um, it still
1: has a toll, right? Right. It's It's, you feel like you feel like you need to answer everyone. You need to make sure you read everyone. And what does this mean, or does that what that means? And like, I read ten comments, and they're all like five star, five stars, and one says four and a half stars. Why is that four and a half star? Right.
0: Right. So it's it's just it's not something you can, or it can be if you're if you're if if you take a really reserved laid back approach to it i think it can be something you do that doesn't dominate your life mm-hmm. but i took it i took an approach that was very all in very involved and it it dominated my life yeah
1: yeah um i it's funny i i of course i've never run a kickstarter i have funded a few um mm-hmm. uh, but i've never run one but everything you just said totally resonates with me and um like and, and I've had to like take a step back mentally and and, and I've, like actually talk to my therapist about it. You know, like my my download numbers, right? Uh, mm-hmm. My views on YouTube and stuff like that. There's something that's gamified there right. that like 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 itches the back of my brain and I get you know wicked into it. Like oh oh it's a chart. I can chart it now, you know? And, uh, so I, I, I I don't know if I'm built to do it to run a Kickstarter man based off of what you just said, because I think it could feed the same thing for me.
0: It's tough. I mean, I, now I compulsively check all of my, you know, sales numbers on all my pages, like multiple times a day. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm on drive through RPG. I'm on itch.io. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's, probably not healthy to do that but i don't know how to stop sure um there's just so many metrics to keep track of i'm not you know it feels like you know you might if you if you let it lie you might miss something you know you might miss a surge of activity and then you if you can figure out where that came from you can like learn something about you know oh like my this book was really popular in russia i don't know what to do with that information but you know now I know. Yeah, but, but it's data, right? And data is interesting. And it kind of gets your mind
1: spinning a little bit. And like, none of it has to do with money for me, right? Right. Like, it, it's just, it's, it's like, hmm, that's interesting. What does that mean? I can totally get sucked into that. Yeah. Um, so when you get the drain out there, it's funded beyond what you expected. It was a bigger hit yep. than you expected. You said three times what your highest expectation was. Yep. Um, how many backers did you have? Do you remember a ballpark? 1,400. That's amazing, dude. Yeah. Um, What was it like once it was out there? So was there anything that you heard or saw that surprised you once it was unleashed and, you know, thousands of people started playing it at different tables?
0: I would say the most notable thing was the lack of feedback. Interesting. You know, I've had this experience where I very often or almost every time I release something... You know, it sells well, people, um, you know, eventually tell me they like it, but there's this there's a long tail on people playing your game, leaving reviews, saying anything about it. So. It can feel like crickets, it can feel yeah. disheartening to to release it, and then it's like nothing, you know, so mm-hmm. it's not literally nothing, but in this case, someone will, will say, oh, it looks nice. It's like yeah but how did it play you know and I, and i've owned it for a while and i've never run
1: the drain man so i know exactly what you're saying
0: yeah so it's um eventually you know i every once in a while i'll i'll check the um after action report channel in the mothership discord and someone will play the drain or play you know something and it's amazing to read about and it's awesome um but that just i think it's not You know, I don't think there's anything bad about my adventures that people don't play them. I just think that it's the the nature of RPGs is, you know, not everything makes it to the table. And if it does, it might be months or years. So it's just this weird thing. And then about the specific feedback, it's been mostly really positive. I mean, people say that they, hey, actually, Funnel works pretty well in Mothership. And I actually had someone reach out to me and said, Um, you know, I never really realized that funnels couldn't just be a DCC thing. So like I went and made a funnel in another system. Nice. Um, and I, uh, after I released the drain, um, I think as part of this, I did this as a, as a stretch goal, but I released to backers a separate mechanics sheet of just, uh, here's a funnel, uh, with permissions for people to use it uh in their own stuff. So um unfortunately I haven't heard of anyone making a funnel uh until whole breach.
1: Very very cool.
0: I don't know. Yeah, it's it's it, it's just a long tail. It's like you 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 get rewarded in the extreme long term. Yeah. But the initial feedback is is very quiet.
1: Well, the reality is and this is true of a couple of geek uh hobbies is playing these games and buying and reading them are two different hobbies mm-hmm. right um and uh i enjoy both of them uh, i own far more games than i have ever run and will ever run but i enjoy buying them and i enjoy reading them and, and, and taking them in so we made a nice little transition there so let's take a quick break and i want to talk about this whole breach which is the reason we got ian on the show we'll be right then There are so many online retailers. It can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed take your gaming fun to the next level if you mention third floor wars in the cart notes of your order you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention third floor wars on checkout to get that free gift Obviously, Kickstarter didn't punch you hard enough in the face. You have now decided that you want to hop back in the ring and do another Kickstarter. Before we start talking about Hull Breach, when did that transition for you? Where you, the memory of childbirth before was faded away enough that
0: you felt like you could do it again? I think it was pretty much immediate. Um, Oh, wow. you, You, not that I wanted to do it, as much as I knew that I could mm. you, you learn so much doing a Kickstarter, you know, you're, you're having to figure out a million different things every, every day. Um, and now running this one, even though it was for, you know, just a zine, that's not, not a super complicated, you know, pledge to your system or anything. Um, I knew that I could do it again. Um, and running that Kickstarter and having it go successfully um, really got me thinking seriously about doing this um, as a a viable career option. Yeah. And um, particularly having the stats in hand of how Kickstarter works, how much traffic is driven by Kickstarter itself and not externally. um, It really felt like there's, kind of no other way. Yeah. Um so it's just sort of a, a, a fact of life at this point. Um and the question was just, you know, what's what's the next thing I'm gonna do? Some of my other projects, like we talked about Moonbase Blues, just sort of happened and snowballed into this thing. Uh Hull breach started out as just an idea on a Discord server. I had started a small community uh, for third-party mothership publishers to sort of talk shop uh, and swap tips. And during ZineQuest, uh, a few of us collaborated to cross-promote each other's stuff and you know boost our um, promotional efforts and stuff, and that went pretty well. Um, I think mothership zines ended up being like five of the top ten most back projects during zine Quest three it's amazing and so i wanted to do more stuff with that community um i this is a whole another thing that we could get into but um earlier in 2020 i had uh participated in this really amazing charity project called dissident whispers um which was um, a anthology of one page adventures, uh, that was put out to raise money for, uh, the national bail fund network and TKG got involved and published it and made that happen. And that was like a really life-changing experience. And, um, it was magical to see that come together um, to be a part of that, it was like 10 days of the most intense work I have ever participated in. And after the at the end of it, we had a book, <laughs> and it raised, you know, $60,000 for charity within like a month or something. That's cool. And I, during that project, I took kind of a leadership role. I helped coordinate things between TKG and the group, and I helped know put people in contact and figure out how we were going to you know move things along in different stages and i helped coordinate communications between all the writers and all the editors and the project organizers and stuff so it was like a really intensive learning experience kind of like a kickstarter yeah and so That's another thing that I now had in my pocket that's like, oh, this kind of really big group project, there were 100 people involved. I've done that. That's something I can do. So going back to what we were originally talking about in this uh, Discord server for third-party Mothership creators, we'd been talking about doing some sort of group project, and I floated the idea of doing something like Dissonant Whispers, where we would do an anthology that everyone could contribute to. And as the idea developed, I kind of took it on as a publishing project for myself as just the most feasible way to make this happen. And initially it was like, oh, it'll be like a 60 page zine. Oh, it'll be like a 80 page perfect bound book. a 100 page, 120 page, 160 page. Oh, it's a hardcover now. Oh, there's like, you know, we have a design team of three people and five artists and we have... 20 authors and, you know, it it sort of snowballed into this, this whole crazy thing. Um, So we kind of uh, jumped over
1: the headline a little bit. Uh, So for those listening, um, this is being recorded before Hall Breach, um, the the campaign starts, but we're releasing it in in conjunction with the, with the campaign. When people follow the link uh, below to Hall Breach, what are they going to see?
0: So they're going to see uh, a really cool render of a hardcover book. Uh, called Hull Breach, which is a, an anthology collection of all sorts of cool toys and adventures and articles and individual monsters and equipment collections and all sorts of crazy things that you can grab and plug into your mothership campaign. It is sort of like a loose toy box of stuff that you can pick out and plug in. But it's also got some interconnectivity that there's almost like a secret um, mega campaign sort of in there, tying it all together. Yeah, it is the product of around 30 contributors. Um, All of the writers have either uh, previously published something for Mothership or participated in Dissonant Whispers um, or like an active mothership blogger. So it, it started out as this sort of community project and we tried to keep that, um, concept, you know, through to the end. And
1: how has that impacted you as a, as a designer though, right? So you're really very much in production mode here and project management mode here, but you're being exposed to the creativity of so many different People and reading their material and, and they're pitching you and they're sending yep. you things. Um, what impact has that had on you? How has that changed you as far as you, how you think about game design?
0: Made me uh, have, I think, so, okay. So my role on the project is both as a publisher, but I also am the developmental editor on every article. Wow. Okay. So I, we've started working on this in April. So since then, I have been collaborating with all of the authors, helping them play test the material, giving them notes and feedback and helping them develop their things to completion. So I was really, you know, very hands on yeah, with every single deep. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Going to the book. So for me, um, it made me really crystallize what are the key elements that need to go into an adventure? And they are? They are a very clear uh, orientation up front. What's going on? What are like the key elements? How do you run this thing? Mm-hmm. So that that's something that, you know, I've made sure is going in every single adventure. Every single bit of usable material is telling you how to run this because nice. you're going to be flipping through this book, you know, what am I going to run tonight? What's this? What cool little thing can I use? So even though you own the book, every article is pitching you on why you should use right. it. Yep. So that's really important. Um, I really like fun tables and little toys and things that you can apply to other things. Yep. So I'm always thinking, you know, my in my early rounds of feedback, it's, you know, some structural stuff, how can we make this work? But it's also like, What's something cool? You, what's another cool thing you could do? What's another little direction you could take it in? So, uh, there's a lot of that in it.
1: It's kind of like your From Nightmares idea, right?
0: Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. yeah, and that that kind of stuff appears in a lot of my stuff. You know, in uh, in Moonbase Blues, the first thing I published, there is a table of um, ways that the meteor mad enemies, which are basically like zombies who have been, you know, gone crazy because of this this infectious light, how they've incorporated the color blue physically and violently into their person. Nice. So every time you, you encounter a zombie, it could just be a generic zombie, but it's specific, you know, there's yeah. a specific flavor to it. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. And I think I got that partially from The core mothership rules where one of the first things you do when you're starting up a character, it's not just, okay, what are these numbers, but you get a patch and a trinket. And that D100 patch table and that D100 trinket table is maybe the best thing about mothership. I could not agree more. Right. So I want to include that in everything that I do. I want to relive that experience of just like pouring over this, this cool table. So... That's an element and just generally something that I try to emphasize is, you know, usability, usability, playability, playability, playability. How does this actually work? Um, How can we make all these elements come together? I mean, it's just basic development stuff, but, um, you know, we really play tested the hell out of this thing, you know?
1: So Ian, so that's, that's helpful that you're able to obviously share your knowledge and your experience with each, each of these developers and, and really give them these types of tips. But I guess what I, what I also want to know is when did it go the other way? When did somebody put something in front of you that made you go, oh, shit, I'd never thought about it this way or I've never, th- you know, approached it this way that made you rethink things a little bit?
0: So there's a lot of like weird eclectic material in the book and there are a couple entire systems basically in their own right like system oh, hacks wow. of mothership. So one of them uh is by MV uh who has published um mothership stuff before but they made a hack of mothership that you can play wardenless or gmless. Uh and It's not really how I play games, you know, in my exploration of indie games, I've trended towards the more, you know, old school style of running games. Um, But it's really cool. Mm -hmm. And like they the sort of oracles, like the the tools that they and I prompts and ideas that they wrote to facilitate the style of play really grabbed me. And I think it's one of the cooler things uh, in the book. And so, yeah, I don't know that that sold me.
1: So when uh, when uh, an artist puts out an album, they they always ask, you know, which song which song do you think is going to be the hit? So in your mind, uh, with all of these out there, obviously you love them all, right? You Mm -hmm. wouldn't make it into the book. But is there is there one that you think people are going to talk about um, when they finally get the book in their hands? One that's going to create a stir?
0: Yes, uh, I think the the hit is called Vibe Chetty by uh, <laughs> Joel Hines, nice. who uh, wrote um, the Desert Moon of Karth, which is another phenomenal. Yeah, another dope, amazing uh, zine from Zine Quest 3. And he recently kickstarted another module, um, Abilities Considered Unnatural. So he wrote for us an adventure called Vibe Chetty, which if you aren't familiar with Mothership, it's one of the weapons uh, in the core book, which is just a, a vibrating machete.
1: It can't be sci-fi unless you have some blade that vibrates.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it, it, Vibe Chetty is a slasher horror scenario. Oh, that's great. Um, so it is, uh, it takes place on an abandoned um, like Arboretum station, like a, a playground for, you know, millionaires and uh, like any good slasher horror scenario, like any good slasher horror story, uh, there is an origin of the killer. And uh, there was this mysterious construction accident that killed all these workers, uh, but one survive <laughs> and still lurks on the station and lives only to hunt the uh, scions, the children of the uh, billionaires who you know skimped on safety measures and caused the accident, who you know go and delinquently party on this derelict station. Uh, and it's so fun. Oh, it's that's so cool. Fun.
1: That's very, very cool. All right, so obviously, um, people below can uh grab the links below, um, for for uh Hall Breach. Um, I'd also I'm going to link to a lot of the other stuff that we've talked about, Ian, uh, both your stuff and a few of the other call outs that you've put on there. Uh, but before we go, one thing I always like to ask uh, my guests is, what are you really enjoying right now? And it could be an RPG. It could be a movie. It could be a video game, board game. Is there something that recently that has really, you know, set your brain on fire to use your term, something that you really are enjoying right now? God, the brutally honest answer
0: is I'm too busy to enjoy anything. You know, when was the last time you enjoyed yourself, Ian? Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. It's, I mean, it's genuinely, it's been a bit. I've, Kickstarter, this Kickstarter is so complicated.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: um, you could
1: have, could have made it much more, could you, could you, could have gone 40 people instead of 30 people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, gosh. Um, what's the last good, what's the last, uh, what's, what's the most recent fun you've had not playing Mothership?
0: Okay, Um, I rewatched one of my favorite movies, which is uh, Wizard People, Dear Reader.
1: Never heard of it,
0: which is. Yeah, so it is a. Dubbed over track for the first Harry Potter movie. (laughs) And so you um, play it
1: while watching the movie on. Yeah,
0: you watch it on mute and you and you play oh my this God. track and it is the funniest thing i've ever experienced and in a night of you know intense stress that's what i turned to and it's so funny it's so, so funny
1: listening wasn't listening with a pen in their hand and now they've all grabbed their pen so what's the name of it again
0: Wizard people,
1: comma, dear reader. Okay, we'll link to it below, but I I'm going <laughs> I might be doing that tonight. That's very very cool. Um anything else do you want to plug other than the Kickstarter my friend?
0: Um I don't think so. Um but I can I give a shout out? Please. Shout out to Meredith who made us the best damn Kickstarter video I've ever seen. She's <laughs> oh, one of the really? designers on the project and She is a magician who knows all, has all these crazy design talents. And she uh, edited our video, which is really
1: You're really excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. Oh, that's cool. You know, I was going to totally let you go. And now I'm not going to, because I completely forgot this. Um, What do you think about the rules changes? What do you think about version one of Mothership? Everything
0: about it, is like takes the good parts of Mothership and makes it more. Um, I've played them; they're they're really good. Yeah. They're it's it's really good. They uh, there are some quirks of Zero E Mothership that I found charming over time. You know, one of the things that I kind of like about it is that unless you're facing a couple particular really strong, particularly really strong weapons. It's kind of hard to die from damage in Mothership. But that has an interesting effect that you're going to die from space. Yep. So you're going to die from environmental insta-kill hazards or you'll have a heart attack or you'll have from a heart stress. Attack. But unless the enemy has a shotgun, you're probably not going to die from damage, and I kind of like that. Mhm. You know, not in a I think that's good design, but it's fun. Right. Um But the new rules for damage are both more lethal and more interesting because of the the hit system where you're not going to be killed outright. First you're going to take some sort of horrible wound and then you're sort of failing forward with... Now you have this thing to deal with. Now you're missing an arm. Now you have to stop the bleeding. So it sort of takes the let's make things more interesting stuff from the panic system and brings it into the damage system Yep. Yeah. um and that's really good and the new panic system i think solves one of the
1: few criticisms i had um you know the inevitable um if things go too long you're gonna have a heart attack right it yes. just snowballs and i think i really love the how they how they did the new panic system and um, Sean is Sean will be coming on the show. So he, uh, for those of you listening, um, we'll dig into a, uh, with Sean uh, all the changes. But my first reaction was um, like literally if I had written a list, if some, if Sean had reached out to me, which he never would, and said, hey, you know, Craig, what are the things that bug you a little bit? <laughs> I have like checkbox, checkbox, like it hit everyone. I was just so impressed by it. Um, Ian, I really enjoyed this, man. Thanks for taking the time.
0: I did, too. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me.
1: Yeah, and for those of you that sat through this whole thing like it's the end and you stayed this whole time, I appreciate you too. Take care.
2: We hope you enjoyed this episode. Subscribe to Tabletop Talk and share it with your friends. Check out our content on YouTube and Twitch. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and stay updated on everything coming from Third Floor. All the links are in the show notes. Take care, floor heads.
1: That was gradient. How are we doing on time? We're at 24 minutes. That's good. Um, All right. So we kind of covered Moonbase. Mm hmm. So I'm gonna leave that out. Um I'm not That's not familiar with Meat Grinder.
0: Um Meat Grinder I did not write. Oh, why did I have, why did I pick, put that it, in the I notes? published it. Oh, you I published, published it. Though. Okay, okay. Yeah. So it's weird. So I'm I'm in sort of a weird transitional phase where I was publishing stuff that I had written, but then Meat Grinder was a stretch goal to the drain and I had a friend write it. And then people were getting confused and saying that I wrote it. Uh, okay, we'll hear. It. So that's why. Let's talk about this. This is good stuff. I'll bring us back. Here. Okay, this is good. Um, so I had uh, a family gathering, um, and I subjected some of my my extended family to mothership. Uh, none of them had, I think, even played a role playing game before. Wow. Um, But I ran a modified version of the mothership. It's not officially a starter adventure, but it's one that's often recommended as a starter adventure. Um, The Haunting of Ypsilon 14, which is a pamphlet scenario. Actually, wait, hold that. Hold that thought of that. I was completely wrong. That was not the one I I based off of. Okay. You're a lying Um, liar who lies (laughs) Ian. Yeah. um, No, it was so... All, the, all of what I just said applies, but it was the first part of Dead Planet. Yep. Um, it's a great intro. Yeah, which is called uh, The Screaming on the Alexis. Yep. So I took the Alexis, but I because I was running it as a one-shot, I kind of wanted a more um, self-contained scenario. Yep. Um... God, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm like, you're going to have to cut this whole part out because I just realized I, I just told started telling the same story wrong twice. Okay. <laughs>
1: really sorry about that. Um, Pick up wherever you want, Ian. I'll take care yeah, of
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. You're with your family. Gosh, everything. Yeah. Everything that this, the family wasn't even, isn't even related to this. Okay. So the first, so how I got started. So forget all of that. I'm so really sorry. I was in the Soviet Union, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I, that is the first Mothership game that I ran, but it became um, something else entirely that uh, I eventually ended up publishing with TKG. So it doesn't, but that that's irrelevant, basically. So, okay, so... Um, okay. so
1: that was a good 10 minutes so i threw a break in there hope you don't mind that's fine how you feeling all right good good i think good conversation um so i don't i think i'm gonna go a little different direction if it's okay with you i think what i'm gonna do is instead of talking about mothership first i want to talk about your transition from consumer to producer a little bit sure so i'm gonna kind of flip that around a little bit then we'll talk mothership right because that makes sense there Hmm. All right, cool. I'll bring us back. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, the podcast is over. And you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers? Well, I mean, if you're here, might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to. I do appreciate you sticking around. Take care.